Um, it is just so good to be with you people. We just love coming here. It is, you know, it is, as has been said, it's a church that we were part of for many years and we just love this church deeply. Watched so many people um, just grow in the Lord in this place and it's just wonderful. When you know when you come back from time to time, you see such differences and it's wonderful. It's just lovely to see what God is doing in different churches and different nations. I noticed this time for the first time that some, sometimes when the songs are sung, I use a, an American way of announcing, pronouncing things, and I've never done that before. <laughs> now that I've been here long enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, tonight I just want to chat a bit about some practical ways to walk the supernatural life. You know, we are incredibly privileged as Christians to live a life that is both natural and supernatural. And we know that. <coughs> but it is an absolute privilege. We look at a world, and many people don't know this, they just live a natural life. But we have this privilege of living in two realms at one time. But sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we walk in the natural, which is not a problem. There's a lot of natural stuff that we have to do. But sometimes we forget to connect to the supernatural life that we have. And it's something we practice and something we we fan into flame. So I'm going to give you just a few. It's quite a quite a list, but it's still a few in comparison to what there are. Keys as to how to keep fanning into flame this walking in the supernatural life that God has given us. The one is quite obvious: time with God. Sometimes in the busyness of life, we don't spend that much time with God. And sometimes you get so caught up with things and we can even do our so-called quiet time in a religious manner. That's not time with God. We need to connect with God. We need to be with Him. That's what it is. It's to, um, you see, God is our strength and He's our very life. The life of God is within us. We can only go so long without food and water in the physical, yet sometimes we live our life as though it doesn't matter if we're not getting food and the life of God, the water of God, and our spiritual world. So we need that, and in order to do that, we've got to be in God. To remain in God, we need to spend time with Him, take time to get into His presence, to rest in Him. It's not always about doing. Sometimes it's just resting in Him. In Christ, we live and move and have our being. We know that scripture, but it is practicing that and taking time out to do that. And when we do it, as I say, in a religious way, it doesn't really count for much. You don't check the box. It's practicing the presence of God. Second thing I want to touch on is gratitude and thanksgiving. To me, this is one of the hugest keys. You know, sometimes things don't go our way. And it's not, we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand the circumstances. I want to give you one example, which I might have shared yet before, I don't know. But our kids backslid when they were teenagers. My son has a habit of doing everything well. So when he backslides, he did a good job. <laughs> he doesn't do it half-heartedly, he does it thoroughly. And both of our kids backslid, so it was really hard because here we are in the ministry and you go out to conferences and all these things and all these people are speaking about their kids on fire for God and then there's my two. And you think, well, you know, okay. Then, of course, the natural thing is to think, what did I do wrong, or what did I do, or what didn't I do? And I went to one of the guys, 
um, that I know in ministry, Ray Oliver, for those who know him, and I said to him, you know, Ray, I'm really battling with this. What do you think I did? He looked at me. It was a sharp, firm word that totally changed me. He said, do not go there. That was it. That's all the advice he gave. But it's exactly what I needed. You see, we don't go there. God's got his hand on these kids. We've prayed for them for years. He's got his hand on them. And eventually, our kids started turning around. And then they turned around pretty radically. We knew we were already in America. We were leaving for America, and they wouldn't come because they didn't want to because, of course, it meant a move in God. And they were too busy enjoying the world. And six months after we were there, Ken got a phone call from our son, and he said, Dad, where is the scripture? And we said, yes, Lord. They're coming home. <laughs> and they did. Today, my son leads the church. And my daughter's one of the most incredible intercessors I've ever known. She's phenomenal. She leads the intercession at her church, where they pray specifically for church plants. So, I mean, she's just an amazing, an amazing, amazing young lady, and so is my son. And so, with this thing, though, I remember going to God and saying, but why God? And God said to me clearly, he said, do not ask me again. And you know when God speaks firmly and you know, that was not even a gentle, that was a do not. I never asked God again. About five years later, kids had turned around, we're doing well. God said to me, so do you want to know? Like, how do you answer that? I said, if you want to tell me. <laughs> I don't know what to say. And he said to me, now please understand, this is not a theological thing, okay? He was speaking to me in my heart. He said, if this, these were your kids and this was my grace, he said, I lifted it that much. I didn't remove it, I just lifted it that much. He said, that way they would find out who they were without me. He said, so when they fulfill their call in God, they will always know it is me and me alone who did it. It had nothing to do with them. I didn't know that when I was going through the struggle. I didn't know that, but God had his hand on them. Be grateful in every situation, sometimes not necessarily for the situation, but always walk before God with gratitude and thanksgiving. We are a privileged people. God has called us to be involved in his affairs. We're able to, to see the transformations in people's lives on a regular basis. I mean, this is just something that you can't, you can't dream up. It's that good. And God is that good. And we know the Bible says we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So this leads me to the next one, praise. Praise to me is so powerful. It is one of those incredibly powerful things. When I'm going through a bad time, I have learned the key of praise. I try and praise every day. And by praising, I don't, you know, there's many words in the Bible. I think there's seven in the Bible that translate praise. One is dance. I love to dance. I mean, I think my neighbors think I'm crazy sometimes. I'm whirling around the passage and back, and the music's pumping out full block. They must think that lady has got a little bit of a problem. But anyway, that's fine. I love to praise. I do. Ken comes home, and sometimes he walks in, and he's like, put earplugs in, and that's fine. But I love to praise the Lord. And I find that when I'm going through a hard season and I'm not connecting, plug into praise. Plug into praise. I've had a lot of people come to me that have gone through a tough time, and I found God give me this as a key. They say, whether it's true or not, I don't know much about psychology, that it takes 21 days to break a habit. Yeah. So I've said to the people, every person that's come to me that's battled, doesn't matter what the situation is, I said, actively praise God for an extended time with dance and out of your mouth loudly every day for 21 days. Every single person that has done it 
for 21 days has had a breakthrough, bar none. The one pastor's wife was going through quite a tough time. I mean, it was a typical, typical situation. She came to me, she said, I feel like I'm living in personal revival. You know, the first few days you might not feel it. Doesn't matter, push on, push on. Praise God, you will break through. Praise God for his love, his goodness, his greatness, his kindness, his majesty, his grace, his answered prayer. There's so many things. There's a lady by the name of Ruth Heflin. She wrote a book called Glory. She's written quite a number of books. It's a phenomenal book. Um, And I love what she says. There's a few things she says, but these are the two that I really love. A voice of praise is always a voice of victory. The other thing she says, praise until the spirit of worship comes. Worship until the glory comes, then stand in the glory. I love that, and I've seen it. So for her praises, when you praise until that, that worship, it doesn't have to be, it's not fast and slow. It's not about that. It's until it just rises up, and it's just coming from the spirit man and overflows. That's the worship. And then the presence of God comes, and the glory comes. And then you stand within that glory. Praise releases joy. Praise is powerful and is a weapon of warfare. Praise opens the way for us to move into true worship where we can really worship in spirit and truth. Praise impacts the area you live in. Jackie Pullinger, the lady who wrote um, Chasing the Dragon. Dragon. When she got to Hong Kong, a young girl of 21, she got to, to Hong Kong because God told her to go there and she went to the walled city. It was so dangerous that not even the, the um, police or anybody would go into the walled city. And she wasn't getting any breakthrough. And God said to her, praise and pray in tongues every day. She did that and slowly she started to see the breakthrough. Okay, we praise as a celebration, we praise as an offering to our God, God, etc. Then there's the word of God. Now I know it sounds so simple. Okay. Sorry, I want to say something about praise. Where's your lemma? It's very important. Can you hear me? Yeah. The Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise because there are moments and days and times that's the last thing you feel like doing. So that's when you've got to sacrifice yourself in a sense of use your physical body, raise your hands, walk up and down, actively use your body, and then begin to focus on the words that you're singing. You understand what I'm saying? And you'll find there will come a time where it'll click over, where it's not something that you're having to do to get to that place. It begins to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? It's very important. That's why Paul says, offer your bodies, Romans 12, as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your hands, your lips, your voice, whatever. So that's what I'm going to encourage you with. Because that's what I saw my wife do. And I saw in tough times, that's what she did. She hasn't told you, but her father passed away on Friday. Friday at 12.43, he passed away. He was in Twilonga. He passed away, and we'd been with him for a couple of days, and we would stand in his room and praise. He was bedridden, he had a tumor on the brain, and when he passed, that's the first thing we did, was praise. And thank the Lord for his... It's difficult, but that's what you do. Amen. Amen. Sorry. Uh, okay. You can have it. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, it really is powerful, you know. As Ken says, my dad passed away, and honestly, he was an amazing man. Absolutely amazing. Um, but 
for me personally, praise is my go-to. Whenever I'm going through something difficult, that's my place I can go to. And so for me, when I arrived here, the first thing I did is had, I, I made a whole list of songs that I wanted to praise with my dad. He couldn't, he, was, um, he couldn't speak anymore. I don't know if he actually heard us. I do believe he did, but I'm not sure. I can't categorically say he did. And we would just worship every single day over and over and then read the word and read some testimonies and, and obviously take time for each of us to honor him. Everybody in the family had a chance to speak to him and honor him. But the worship is what brings, him, brings you through. And as he passed, obviously it's, there's a moment of, of deep sorrow because you're not gonna see him again. And it's like I almost, I just said to Ken, I have to worship, I have to, because it's the only way I know. And I put on the music and I started worshiping and God broke through. And he's in glory with Jesus. And we will see him again. And he's walking with my mom on streets of gold. And um, there's just so many that I know will be welcoming him. And he's living a life that we all serve here to one day be there. So it is good for him. And he, he will have many rewards because he lived a good life. Okay. Next is the word of God. And again, we can read the word of God just as a habit and just as a, um, a ritual. But it's got to transform our lives. We've got to read it in a way that we can get it into us and really, um, really eat it. You know, get, get, get the word of God into us. You know, if we, if we were given a private jet plane, you know, I really wish Ken and I had a private jet plane. <laughs> you know how much easier it'll be to travel. You know, you just get on your plane and you go and you're all comfortable and not a problem. You're not squashed in a seat and, you know, you can't move. It'd be wonderful. But anyway, if we were given a private jet plane and all the fuel and a pilot paid for, but we did not know what a jet was or what it was used for, it would be of little use to us. It would just stand there. The pilot would be walking around. The plane would be ready. We would be getting in the broken car and driving along and suffering and not understanding that there's the jet plane. Okay, but we would not know it. As Christians, we need to get that word into us and understand who we are in Christ. As we know who we are, as we know the more about who Jesus is, this incredible God that we serve, we grow. Faith comes by hearing the word and uh, hearing and hearing the word of God. How then can our faith be strong if we do not have this word in us? There is much preached on this, so I'm not going to go on. Then, the next point is prayer. Again, um, so often we just, you know, I remember when I was first saved, you were taught the five things that you had to do on your thumb to pray. You know, you pray, then you do that, and you do that, and you do that. But it's, 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 a, um, it's a ritual. But prayer, when you connect with God, is anything but a ritual. It's real. It's alive. It's, I remember um, many years ago, when we first went into full-time youth ministry, now understanding Ken got saved, and nine months later, we were in full-time youth ministry. So we knew little to nothing. You know, it was amazing how that door opened. And I remember thinking, I have to, I went through a stage for three months where I really sat down to pray. And every time I sat down to pray, it's like I couldn't pray and all I did was worship God. And I worshiped and worshiped and worshiped and then I felt guilty because I wasn't actually doing a formal prayer. 
We said, I didn't understand. And that's okay. But get, get there. Just spend time in prayer. And when we pray, pray as Ken said this morning. He said, pray from the first heaven down. Who we are in Christ, you pray down. You don't, it's not like we have to go and beg God. Pray down. Pray from who we are. You declare. You pray from that place of who we are in Christ. You pray with that authority. It makes such a difference. It really, really does. Um, I remember the one time when Clayton was on his little sojourner, just in the early days, he decided to leave home. Um, his friend comes to me, says, Clayton's running away. He must have been about 14, so he hadn't backslidden badly. So at the time, I was busy um, worshipping God, just, you know, dancing around the room. So Michael came and said to me, you know, um, Clayton's going to run, and he's, he's not a kid that would ever say that about his buddy, so you must know he was truly concerned. I said, okay, thanks for letting me know. And as I put it on, the song that was playing happened to be Break Dividing Walls. Do you remember that song? It's an old song. Anyway, and I started to pray into that song, and I said, God, break the dividing walls between Clayton and us. Whatever it is, break those dividing walls. Break those dividing walls. And I'm praying and pray, praying and praying and breaking that in, in God, just praying as he led me to do that. The next minute I see these boys come through and I see him sneak around the back, come in the door. I didn't say a word. I just pulled him in. I started dancing around him and wrapped him around him. That was it. Broken instantly. I don't know what the issue was. I don't need to know. God dealt with it. And so God is so good. When we pray specific prayers led by God, it's like arrows that hit the target. And we grow in this. None of us is perfect, but it's, it just, it works. Then there's joy. You know, um, I think I preached on joy many years ago here. I don't, can't remember. I had the privilege of having four people prophesy over me about joy. Each one said, your name will be changed to joy. Now, you know, Ken's had all these prophecies of like moving in power and this and that, and I get joy. And I'm thinking, that's wonderful and it's nice to be happy, but what actually is that? I mean, how really effective is it just to have joy? <laughs> it didn't really make sense to me, but I've got to tell you, God has taught me. The Bible says, the joy of your Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And He clothes us with that strength. But joy is not happenstance, it's not just a moment in time when things go well. The joy of the Lord is your strength and stronghold. It's the joy of the Lord when we spend time in God and we spend time in praise, you find that joy that fills you. As, as was said, my dad passed on Friday. I had such a joy rise in me knowing where he was going. That doesn't make sense in the world. It doesn't make sense. I know there will be many times when I will be sad that I can't see him again. But where do I look? To my God. Amen. My mom passed away in 2003. We just moved to America. And the same thing happened. God showed me his joy. He showed me his joy. He showed me where my mom was. And he showed me joy in the circumstance. That's not just a giddy happiness. That's a deep joy in the Lord that he gives us even in the hard times. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt again. It's important, this one. Because the word came to Michelle and said, people call you Michelle, but I call you Joy. 
Now, she didn't understand it at the time, but in the moments when life came at her, as I said, like a freight train, and when life got tough, what came out of her was joy. Because that's what the Lord said, I call you joy. That was the go-to that God did inside her. It's very difficult to explain, but that's what happened. It was a witness to me in terms of tough times when I saw joy come out of her. Because that's what the Lord said. I call you joy. You understand what I'm saying? Now she had to spend time to develop that. And she read a book by Charles Spurgeon called The Fullness of Joy, which helped facilitate that. But God honored his word. God honored his word. That's why I want to say that. But although God gave that to me specifically, we do know that one of the fruits of the Spirit is the joy of the Lord. So it's not only for me. It's for all of us. So it's not just a thing, oh, well, they called you joy, so that's fine for you. No, no, it's for us. Service. For this one is the next point is service. I want to just read this bit because I won't get it right. Abraham's servant was sent to Abraham's people for a, to find a wife for Isaac. When he got to the city, he asked God for favor. So let's pick up the story in Genesis 24, 12 to, uh, to 22. Rebecca, we see, or somewhere down there. Rebecca, we see, was a beautiful woman. She was a Syrian and was the granddaughter of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Let us see that she was introduced as a diligent, industrious, beautifully sensitive girl. Her willingness to serve Abraham's servant and then give water to all his camel show this. A great lesson in the way God provides <coughs> surprising rewards for servant-hearted people is learnt here. Little, I love this, and I read it somewhere and I can't remember when, so do not give me credit for this. Little did Rebecca know that those camels she was giving water to were carrying untold gifts for her and her family. Little, little did she know that her future destiny lay in the seemingly ordinary act of service. But she was a servant-hearted lady. I love that story. It is profound. We see that from the story that natural service opens up supernatural um, doors and our destiny. Um, I didn't understand the, connection, uh, the, the supernaturalness of service. Now, if you go to the five love languages, service is my least one. It doesn't come natural to me. Ken, his top one. I don't do well at service. He'll, uh, he'll say to me, did you not notice that maybe the people have been here, they might be thirsty? I said, Sorry, I didn't think of it. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Ken says to me, maybe you should offer some tea. Okay, dear. But I, I don't, it doesn't come natural, okay? But there's power in service. So I've had to learn to serve. <laughs> so you, I'm sure you all knew David Cape, the, the, you know David Cape, the man who walked around with carrying the cross and washing everybody's feet. Well, we met him in the early days. He had just walked, the, this was his first walk through South Africa and he ended in Cape Town where we were at the time. And we all went to the celebration at Market Square in, Green Market Square here, in Cape Town, where he was um, finishing this whole walk through South Africa. And there were, it was wonderful. It was Ken, myself, and a whole bunch of people from our church and other churches, and all the kids were running around. And there was this little boy who his mom brought to us in a stroller, but the boy was about 12 years old. I think, no, he must have been, no, it wasn't quite 12. He must have been about seven or eight, I don't know. But he was so tiny. He'd never walked in his life. 
and he was blind. And this isn't to do with race, but he was this very dark black boy that when he smiled, those teeth was the most beautiful sight you've ever seen, those beautiful white teeth. So David Cape started washing his feet, serving the body of Christ like he did, always. And as he did, those legs that had never moved, we saw those legs starting to move. The next minute we moved the bowl and this little boy, he pulled out and he stood there and his legs were so frail and David supported him and he started to go like this. And then he started to jump and then he started to run. His, his eyes were not healed that night, but they held his hand as he ran around. And that face, that face with those pearly white teeth will be etched in my memory for all, for all eternity. The act of service can be supernatural. It's not just mundane. We learn to serve. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Sorry. That's good. I love it when Ken does this. The feeding of the 5,000 was an act of service that created a miracle. Yeah. And to think about it, so sometimes we think to organize 5,000 people into groups of 50 must have been a little chaotic. You know, no, there's 39 there, you gotta go over there. No, that group's too big. That's what the disciples had to do to facilitate that miracle. Then they had to take the bread and walk around and serve these people. But as they did that, the miracle happened. So sometimes we think the natural things are not important, but they're very important because it facilitates what God wants to do. That's all we're trying to say. That's what service does. Yeah, sorry. Actually, another thing like that happened with us as well. We were in um, Cape Town in Durbanville, and there's a little community in Durbanville called Morningstar. So Durbanville is quite a nice area, and Morningstar is a very poor area. And we were holding a holiday club like you're going to be holding soon. And um, we ran out of juice, and I had to pop out to the store to go and pick, some, pick up some juice. And as I walked in, there was all these kids from Morningstar on the field next to the... Um, whatever shop I went to, I think it was Checkers. And um, God said to me, what about these children? And I said, God, do you want me to invite them? And he said, would they come? And I said, no, they can't walk into this affluent area. They wouldn't feel confident. So he said to me, what are you going to do about it? And of course, I go back. Now, I'm totally now, I can't focus on anything else. I really can't. So I'm praying and everything. And I felt God say, you need to start something for them. So we finished the holiday club, and the next week we got together, and we, we're dealing youth. So everything we did, we did with the youth. We took all our youth, and we made sandwiches, and we bought fruit, and we bought candy. We made 80 sandwiches. We didn't know how many kids we were going to get, but I remember we made 80 sandwiches. And people had given fruit, and we had abundant, we had quite a bit more fruit than we did sandwiches. They were not. So now we were running out. We had a lot of candy and a lot of fruit, but we... Yeah, we go in, no, we didn't yet. That was just in this little field. And um, we started serving the sandwiches and we gave each child a sandwich and a fruit and the candy. And I'm thinking there's more and more kids coming, we're gonna run out. Well, when we run out, at least I know we got much more fruit. When we finished, every child had a sandwich, a fruit and a candy. They were not even. 
We want to see the miracles. Serve, and we'll see them. After that, as Ken said, we went into the community. I said to him the next week, I need to go in. Everybody said, don't go in there, it's so dangerous. I went in, and Ken said it was okay, so I knew I could go. And um, it was fine, because <laughs> there's authority there. Eh? And he said, you got faith for it, go, go in. By the time we finished serving in that community, I knew I could walk there at night and nobody would touch me. I had an entire community to protect me. They were wonderful. I loved that. So that was, again, service. Team is the next point, and this is one of my favorite subjects. I love team, and I haven't got time to do too much of this. But obviously, our first team, um, yeah, in this sort of realm, is husband and wife. We team together. We always team together. And to single ladies out there, I want to say this. Remember, we are called to be our husband's helpmeet. You need to know the man you marry is God's man for you. Let him treat you like a queen. Okay, what's his character? How does he treat his family, etc.? We might have functions that are different, but our call is together. We cannot separate our call. Um, it is to fulfill his purposes in our life, but that's the first one. Then there's the team as family. Um, and so often as, as moms, we get lost, especially when our children are young in the raising up of children. But God is so faithful. Um, when we were leading a church in Johannesburg, this one lady, I felt so, we had this little place that we used to meet for prayer meeting and she had come and there was no space for the kids. And her baby, it was raining and she was outside with this baby. It wasn't pouring, but and she, we sort of had to come in, but it was, it was difficult. And she said to me, I don't know why I do this. She said, why do I come to all the meetings with the toddler and a baby? And I said, for the bigger picture. That woman was so faithful. It was incredible. I mean, I'm not talking legalistically, but um, she just had a heart to come. When the little one was three, the baby was three years old, I remember she always used to, be, she always used to go to whoever was greeting at the door, she would go and stand with them. So every greeter knew her and would pick her up. And a man came walking in that hadn't been for a while, and she said, I don't know what his name is, I can't remember. She said, said it was Tom. She said, Uncle Tom, where were you? I haven't seen you for a while. And she was just saying she was missing him. It wasn't anything. He looked at her and he said, well, something about I'm here today. He went to Ken afterwards. He said, nothing has convicted me so much in my life. I will not miss again. I was just being lazy. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Team is important. There's obviously the church team and everything. But team, the one, thing, the one thing which is all I really got time to say now, with team, whatever team we're in, be it family, be it spouses, be it church, be it whatever, remember this in team. Get to know one another, cover each other's weaknesses, and point to each other's strengths. You do that, your team will be strong. I'm not a person who loves to cook much, okay? I really don't. You can give me 100 children, maybe not now. Maybe the body won't quite handle 100 children. You could have given me 100 kids for a sleepover, wouldn't have bothered me. But ask me to cook a meal for 10 people, stress. Okay, my whole church knew that. They'd come to me and say, we're having this bring and share. They'd say, why don't you bring the rolls? I'd say, thank you. I could do rolls. See, it's team. I don't mind the kids. You can send the kids to me, but, but the cooking, not so much. Okay, team, get to know each other's strengths and weaknesses. 
somebody would come to us, in, um, especially in America, we meant the whole system, the finance, the investments, this every day. people would come and say, we don't know what to do with our finance, and can you help us? We'd say, no, no, go speak to Dwayne. <laughs> we can't, we don't really know what to do here. Point to each other's strengths, cover each other's weaknesses. Then, of course, the power of testimony. They overcame them by the blood of the Lamb and the power of testimony. You people do that so well here, so I'm not going to go much into it except to say that we know the testimony is do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Live for the kingdom of God. This is the last point I will have time for, I think. No, one more. Um, I actually don't have time to cover that one. But just remember to pursue a heavenly perspective rather than an earthly temporal perspective. Just keep that in mind. Keep, like if you're gonna buy a sofa, a new sofa, and you have a home group in your house and they've got kids, don't buy a white sofa unless it's easy to wash. Kingdom first. Silly thing, but kingdom first. You're not gonna get frustrated and think, I wish these kids wouldn't come here because you've bought it suitably. Kingdom first, live a kingdom life. Um, the, and then the last thing I will do, there is so much more, but is forgiveness. We need to practice this on a daily basis. Walk in a lifestyle of forgiveness. When somebody offends you, forgive them. When somebody says something about you, forgive them. Really forgive them. Don't just say it, do it. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we feel justified in our unforgiveness because they've really done something wrong. But actually, Jesus forgives us. He would be very justified in not forgiving us, but he died for us. Walk in forgiveness, then things don't hang over you. And hurt doesn't take grips, because you just forgive. And if you can't, you go into praise and worship, push into God, until it comes. Finally, walk in humility. Thank you. I can just quickly add two, very simply, the voice of God. The voice of God will be a key factor in your life. John chapter 10, Jesus talks about the good shepherd and he talks about my sheep will hear my voice. That's the primary way Jesus leads us is through his voice because it's a relationship. But in that chapter in John 10, he talks about a shepherd and a shepherd, hirelings, thieves, robbers and the devil he talks about six or seven characters in there and he's saying those are the characters that you've got to learn will come into your life but you've got to know whose voice is whose and you've got to know the shepherd's voice the good shepherd's voice so i encourage you i have something here on knowing when it's god speaking and when it's not god speaking learn to hear his voice create a hunger in you for his voice for his voice for his voice for his voice and then the last thing is not necessarily the only thing. Understand that nothing supernatural happens without the anointing of God. Nothing supernatural happens. Jesus had to be anointed. Jesus never did what he did because he was Jesus. He did it because he was empowered from on high by the Holy Spirit. It's the key. So you've got to learn to understand how the anointing works in your life and through your life. And very simply, the anointing is the super smeared on the natural 
so we become supernatural. It's that simple. I'll explain it like this. So I'm talking now, and I'll carry on talking. But all of a sudden, there's power. That's what the anointing does. That's simple. That's simple. You don't have to become super. Just be you and let the anointing flow through you. But each one has to find for themselves how God has particularly anointed you. Like, I am not anointed to play musical instruments. You will go out of here. But when Nathan comes up here and begins to sing, it attracts the presence of God. Or when the lady played the violin. That's the anointing. It's the anointing come onto a natural gift, makes it supernatural. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what you've got to learn to develop. And everyone is anointed differently. So just to encourage you. All right. Amen. Yeah, one more thing. Okay. Sorry, one more. I get into the presence of God differently to Ken. When I get into the presence of God, there's two ways that primarily I get into the presence of God. Praise and worship and going into nature. Just go sit outside in the yard, under a tree, go to a lake, do something like that, and the presence of God just comes. Ken goes to the Word. That's how he gets into It's better for me to read the Word once I've done the praise and worship. Ken just opens the Word and he's in the presence. Find out how you get into the presence of God. It's not legalistic, just how, how God takes you in. Because it's a relationship. That's why. So it's not one size, it's a relationship. You understand? This is a relationship. So imagine every morning I come, Hello Michelle, how are you? Hello Michelle, how are you? She'll slap me. <laughs> <laughs> because there's no relationship there, it's just ticking a box. How are you? How'd you sleep the next morning? Oh, see, you had a rough night. It's a relationship. 